Hello, we've got Hi. a guest here. Little Sienna is with us. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes, no? Awesome. Awesome. She wants to Just sit gonna me be... in my chair. Yes. People in. So, hey, if you guys want to put your video up and we can just say hi a little bit, see who we got on here. We'll put it on gallery view. All right. Oh, look at that. We got some amazing friends on. Awesome. Look at this. This is Jeff. I thought that was Jeff Blatnick. Oh, look, it's Fred. Nice. Hey. I don't know why it says Paul. I think I was last Zooming with my father-in-law. That's why his name's on there. Awesome. <laughs> see you guys. This is awesome. Hey, Tammy, can I ask you, can you um, admit people if they're coming in from here? Thank you. Tammy's awesome. She works in the same, she works with a different org and she's actually the owner of this Zoom account. So thanks for letting me use it. Um, all right, well, I'll get going, but we just wanted to give a little cameo with Sienna. Oh, there we go. Can you say hi to everybody? Right hi. 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 guys, I miss you. Oh, what's that face for? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Should we go Can you downstairs? say bye-bye? I just got here. Can you say bye-bye? All right. We're going to send you downstairs. You got a babysitter here who's going to hang out with you. Can you say see you later? Hey, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, welcome everybody. Thanks for coming. Thank you very, very much for coming. Um, the purpose of this is basically we recognize that the ministry we do is kind of hard to explain. Actually, it's really hard to do in little sound bites. So we are just really grateful that you're here so we can kind of just lay this out um, and share. And I see a message right now from Bonnie saying she can't share her video. Let me just double check. Sorry, sorry. Technology, you know, you have to work with it sometimes. Bonnie, if you can hear me, you can probably try it. There she is. I see Bonnie now. All right. Well, welcome, guys, again. Thank you for coming. Um, I just want to start with a few things, um, just some kind of like Zoom stuff, because some of us are new to Zoom. Some of us were new about a year ago, and now it's like our life. But uh, I just want to share a couple things. Um, first, there's a chat box uh, at the very bottom of your screen. You can open up and you can chat directly with us or you can chat with everyone. You can't talk about us behind our back though. That's true, you can see <laughs> with other people. Um, there is an ability to arrange the view for you. So there's like speaker view or there's gallery view. So upper right hand corner, there's a little thing that you can click that's got view and on there you can change it. So gallery view would just show all the different videos and speaker view would show whoever's just talking at the moment. So you can change that even throughout whatever you'd like to do. You can also change your name. Uh, you can go to participant and change your name if you want to put like where you're from and stuff like that. Totally up to you, but just an option. And you can also change your audio settings uh, bottom left corner where it says mute and stop vid or your video. That's where you can turn your video on or off and mute on or off and all that. So you can, can do that. I also just want to say, please excuse the fact that technology, this Zoom is still Not working yes zoom is is awesome and we're able to do things like this but we're still it's the technology is still catching up so there will be issues and delays and little things like that so please excuse it but first one thing i want to do is just launch a little poll here 
just to see where everyone's coming in from. So on your screen, you can now put your vote in of where you are tuning in from and we'll just see where we got people coming from. So did it pop up on your screen? Yeah, we got it. Okay, good, thank you. I love you, Ryan, thanks for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's see. Hi Kings, haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> Did everyone get a chance to vote? Voting. All right, Tammy, it says zero votes, but I think people are voting. Nobody wants to vote. So I will <laughs> press end and see what happens. Nope, that didn't work. Relaunch. Did it Oh, oh, we got it. Seven I, I, I did. I did it somehow. P. I don't know why. Okay, I can't see it. So, what do we got? Someone tell me. <laughs> I don't know. It's not nine percent Pacific, <laughs> and the rest was Eastern. Eastern. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, very fun. Okay, so as you can tell, technology is cool, and sometimes you work with it. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to get started. And what I want to ask is um, if you have any questions or just want to go into something that we talked about, um, save that to the end. We'll have kind of like a Q&A time at the end. Um, that would just be helpful just so we can get through. Honestly, there's a lot of content that we're trying to get through and we don't want to take up all of your, your night. So um, if you have questions, we would love to answer that. Oh, I'm seeing so many little faces that I love yeah. and miss. Um, but you can always put it in the chat and we can always respond to that. Uh, or just ask us in the Q&A or write us and we'll, we'll answer anything. So what we're going to do is we're going to start, I'm going to pause myself for a second and share screen. So give me one quick second while I do that. And there we go. And Okay. 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 Oh, oh, there we go. Okay. All right. Anything? Oh, yes. You can ask anything. Ooh, that's a dangerous question. <laughs> um, all right, guys. So we're starting with the why, the foundation of what we do um, and where it comes from. And so we figured this would be a good place to start because when we think about church planting, missions, any of that, it comes back to the church, right? We think of Jesus and we think of what did Jesus command us to do as the church, as we make up the church? The church isn't a building, it's us, the people. And so uh, we go back to Jesus and we look at even this moment right before he ascended into heaven, uh, he had his disciples full attention. And so we're going to read what he says here in Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20. And so this is Jesus speaking, speaking to his disciples and right after that, he, he leaves. Um, so he says, Jesus, or it says, then Jesus came to, to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So as we look at that, it's pretty clear as the church, um, because as he's speaking to the disciples, he's actually speaking to us as the church, and he's pretty clearly talking about 
uh, some marching orders for us. And as we kind of zoom in here on the word nations, that's a translation. The original word is ethne. And that ethne means ethnic. We get the word ethnic from it. It's ethnic, it's people groups. And so it's talking about making discipleship, making disciples of all people groups. And that he will be with us in this process all the way to the end of the age. And so this is Jesus speaking to us. And we are the church. And this is what we are called into. And so this is like the foundation of why missions happens, why we, we go out, why missionaries are sent out. And this is where it starts and what it comes from. So as we look back, um, did I skip one? No, I don't think I did. Um, we look at this number here. This is people groups in the world. This number comes from the Joshua Project. You can look at this up at joshuaproject.net. They're a group that looks at the church planting worldwide and what's going on and where, where it's happening in the people groups. Now, people groups is a very large number here, as we see. But one another way to look at that is languages. So people groups would be someone would be peeps of, I'm sorry, groups of people that have common heritage consisting of shared language, culture, and ancestry. But as we look at numbers, there's also another way, and that's that we have about, oh, it's actually closer to 7,000 languages in the world today, okay? So as we think of that, of that, about 2,500, a little over that, of those languages are still completely unreached. And when we say unreached, we're talking no gospel, period, no Bible, period, no scripture, no church, zero uh, believers in that entire people group. So we still have, as a church, as a responsibility to go, we still have a lot of work to do. And so as we think about that, I get really, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think we take for granted a lot here in the U.S., like the access to the Bible, to a church, which denomination we want to choose. Like we can go down the street and choose like, oh, there's this church, there's this church, and there's people groups around the world that have waited for generations for um, the gospel to reach them. And they've just have had zero opportunity and zero scripture in their language. Like it, they are in darkness and lost. And I think it's easy to take that for granted here. Yeah. So I get really encouraged though, um, when we think about this task, I mean, that's a lot of people groups, a lot of languages that still need scripture that still need to be reached. That's a lot. Uh, we've gone, we've come a long ways, but we still have a long ways to go. But I, I get really encouraged when I look at Revelation 7, when I see this. So after this, I looked and therefore before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation. There's that word again, every tribe, every tongue, or every people, every language standing before the throne and before the lamb. There were, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they were crying out, in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne of the Lamb. I get super encouraged by that because we know, we get to know mm -hmm. that it will happen, uh, that God's great commission, as it's called, is going to happen. The crazy part is that he chooses to use us, the church. Um, I don't know if I'd do that if I was God, but mm -hmm. he does. He chooses us and we get to play a role in this and in fact it's not just that we get to play a role it's a responsibility of the church and so there are still people that are literally waiting for salvation to come 
And Paul talks about it in Romans, Romans 10, 14 through 15, when he says, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet who bring the good news. So all of this is to say, this is the foundation of what modern missions is, but it's also what we, the why of what we coming do. out of the why of why we do what we do. And we're going to move on from that and go into our journey. And so just a quick little background for Bree and I, where we came from. For me, I grew up in Northern California. Um, for me, missions was uh, going to Mexico and building a house, right? Um, but uh, when I went to Bible school, and actually prior to that, I went to a program, and that's where we met, um, up at a place called Hume Lake Christian Camp. And they had a speaker come for a week, and he was a actual missionary from Papua New Guinea. And he laid out all of what we're going to be talking Buser, about. Some of, you know some of you know Brad Buser. Yeah, he laid out what we're about to talk about. And for me, it, it hit me as like, oh my goodness. Um, I didn't know that there was still this work to be done. And um, I had had the gift to go into other countries and recognize that there's still work happening. So I knew things were happening, but I didn't recognize how big the task was. And at that time in my life, I was very... Um, pretty confirmed that I needed and I wanted and I had a passion to work with youth. But when I got this understanding, then it was like, I want to do both together. And Bree grew up in Papua New Guinea. Her parents, who actually are on this yes, call, <laughs> um, served in Papua New Guinea. Uh, her parents, uh, her dad was an aircraft mechanic and her mom really filled every kind of role you can think of. So when families are over there, they come back every couple of years for a home assignment. And Bree's mom filled a lot of gaps when she would, when those people would leave, she would, so she worked in finance and the medical clinic and all kinds of things. So um, Bree grew up there. You want to tell a little quick about your story? I grew up in Papua New Guinea um, since I was two. And then I lived there my whole life. I had every about four to five years, we would take a furlough back to the States and, um, and we would stay about a year. My parents would visit their supporting churches and update, you know, their supporters. And I would, you know, we would live with family. Um, and then at the end of the year, we would go back to New Guinea and they would, you know, I would spend another four years there. So I, I graduated high school there. And then afterwards I came back to the States. My um, parents dropped me off and stayed the summer. And then I started the Joshua Wilderness Institute with where I met Pete. And um, so that's, yeah. In short, that's my story. Very, very good. And so we, uh, after that program, we worked at a church full time to get kind of our feet wet in ministry and understand what that looks like. And um, But we recognized in 2010, it was time for us to go into training, to go into missions work and be a part of the Great Commission at, with some, somehow. And it was through that training that we recognized a need within working with missionary kids uh, within the missions community. And so that's what we'll explain a little bit more. So in 2015 is when we officially joined, finished our training and joined uh, what was then New Tribes Mission. It was founded in 1946. And uh, so it's been around for 76 years now. Uh, we just recently changed our name in the past, I think it was about five, maybe five years ago, three, four, five years ago, whatever it was. Um, I'm going to admit 
Katia in real quick. Okay. Um, and so the name uh, ethnos is obviously tied to that word ethne that we were referring to in um, discipling the, the, nations. the nations. And then 360 is that it encompasses all around the world. So that's where this name comes from. And really the purpose of this organization exists, the, the reason we exist is to support the local church, not be the local church. We aren't a church, but we support the local church and the Great Commission needs. And so we support fam uh, churches to send their families. So we provide the training, we provide the um, uh, just all the abilities for the family to go. Um, there's a word I'm missing in my head right now. I can't remember what I was going to say. But anyways, uh, but the purpose of it is to assist the church to do the Great Commission. And specifically, uh, we have a niche where we focus on the, the least reached and those are that are hard to get to. And so for the most part, we're referring to tribal situations. Um, there is some exceptions to that, but that's the kind of our area of focus. Currently right now, um, we are in about, it keeps growing, but we're around 20 countries right now that our organization is involved in, has, has plants, church plants in, um, happening in. Uh, we started out as the U.S., like a U.S. organization, and about 10 years ago, we recognized that, man, it has become so global that we've got people being sent from all over. We've got South Koreans, and we've got Brazilians, and we've got um, people out of England and Netherlands. And so what happened is they broke into many different organizations. So the U.S. is now Ethnos 360, and then we partner. It's called a global partnership. So there's all these different sending countries and we partner together. So right now, if you were to be a missionary overseas, there's a good chance you would have coworkers that could be Brazilian, uh, which is really cool, So or, or South Korean. So we're a global network is more of a good way to explain it now. But we have 13 sending countries right now at this time. So when we talk about this idea of church planting, and then more specifically in like a tribal situation, what does that look like? And so we're going to walk through eight different steps uh, of kind of what that looks like. Everything kind of works off of this. So the first is that um, we don't force ourselves into any situation. We are going into tribes that are asking uh, for, or people groups. We're going into them that are asking. In fact, we've got stacks of letters that are from people groups that are asking for the, the missionaries to come. The problem is we don't have the people to send. It's one of that, the, the truly is the harvest is, is great and we don't have the workers. It's really truly happening. We've got many, many people that are asking. Waiting. But once they go in, uh, phase two is to learn the language and culture fluently. And this is really important. So we don't want um, to just kind of parachute in the gospel because what you have to do is learn the language and the culture. Because when we're talking tribal situations it's it there's so little connection to a western world there's you have to understand where they're coming from you have to understand how to communicate clearly in their language and you have to understand their culture you can't just talk about things because they probably have never seen or heard of that so you have to explain it all completely from the beginning so you have to understand that so our families will move in to the tribe and live in there um, and usually it's a team of th around three families and they're there just literally to learn the language and the culture for two to five years. And there's 
consultants coming in that using phonetics are able to help the, them know where they are in their proficiency levels uh, to get to certain points first before they start teaching. But after that, once they've kind of cleared that stage and they can communicate clearly in that language and they've built relationships and they've understood the culture, then there's a phase of teaching. <clears throat> and the teaching, uh, we choose to teach chronologically, which is a creation to Christ stance. And basically, again, going back to the fact that you're going into a situation where people, they don't have any of those Western understandings that here, people know a lot of things. They may not know how it all comes together. They, they know they've probably heard the word Jesus. They've probably been to church in their life. In the Western world, that's usually true. In these situations, they have not. And so you're starting from the very, very beginning. And one, because you can explain creation all the way through Christ, when you get to Christ and salvation and understanding the gospel, it's answering all the things that have been working up when you're talking about creation all the way through. So that's just a, a methodology, but it's really important. While we're teaching, we're also creating a written language in most scenarios, not all, some of them have that, but in many of these situations, these, lang these languages don't even have a, a written counterpart, it's all oral. So we have to, using phonetics, learn how, I mean, we have to actually translate, create, let's say create an alphabet and a language in this new language uh, or in, in the language so that they can understand, read and write in their own language. For the first time in history. Correct. It's amazing that, yep. they, that these missionaries can do that. Following that, we then teach literacy. So it's no good if they've got a written language now, but they've, mm -hmm. not, they've not been taught how to use it. So there's a literacy phase where we're teaching them how to have this language now written form. How to read and write. How to read and write. Then uh, there's a discipleship. Once there's a new church, because you've been teaching chronologically, and once you have a young church, then there's a phase of discipleship, which this can take years, which is very important. And you're helping an infant church move into maturity and have leadership of its own and eldership of its own so it can operate on its own when the missionaries leave, which is the point. Um, there's a church that's thriving with its own leadership. And then they're through this whole stage, they're, they're translating the Bible, the scriptures into this language, which then the literacy and all that happens so that they can read and write the, the scriptures in their own language. And this is for the first time in history. And then they're encouraged, you know, and then as the, the Bible actually encourages them when they read the Great Commission to go out and then they're actually reaching out as well. And so all of this is really that's one of the most exciting parts, yeah, I think. Totally. We have mature churches in some of these tribes that um have come to the point where they are sending their own missionaries to neighboring villages and are reaching them in the same way that they they were reached. And I think that's just incredible. Yeah. So and so as you can tell, this takes 25, even up to 50 years to happen. So it's a God-sized task that is not anything that really we can as humans do outside of the Lord doing amazing things and creating this and walking with our families and missionaries to do this. Um, <clears throat> but as I think about all of those steps and all that process, what comes to mind to me is football. And uh, I've got the Broncos here. I'm new to Colorado. I needed a team. So if anyone is ashamed of me, I'm sorry. And no, I'm not a huge Locke fan. I'm more of a Peyton Manning fan. Anyways, I digress. Um, as I think about football, um, we think of usually certain players. We think of the quarterback, 
Uh, we think of the running backs and we think of the wide receivers and they are very important. They're the ones that score the touchdowns. They're the ones whose jerseys we tend to have. Um, really important players on the team. However, there's a bunch of guys on that team lined up on the line of scrimmage and they have important jobs and that is to defend those guys. And so they literally are standing and all they do is block. And most of the time they won't even touch the football in an entire game. Sometimes in an even season, if you know, and so their job is to do something to protect and to allow those other players to do their job and score a touchdown. And I think that's really important because I, I see that in this missions team as well. For us, it takes an average of about six support role missionaries to keep one family in the tribe. And support roles look like a lot of different things. Uh, we've got consultants that'll go in and help the missionaries that are trying to learn the language and are trained in to help them in that process. We've got doctors, we've got pilots, we've got supply buyers that buy the supplies in a town, put them on the plane so that the missionaries can get them in the tribe. We've got government reps, my in-laws are here and okay. they, they did that role. Thank you very much for serving in that way. Um, they kept the visas consultants. and all that going. And we had homeschool consultants. We have teachers for our MKs. We've got trainers here in the US that are doing the job of training up uh, the, the missionaries that will go. So it's a big, large team that all has different roles and plays a different part. Um, and so it's really excited, which leads us to our role uh, in this whole team. So we're all that to say, <laughs> all that to say, uh, we play a part of uh, this team at large that's going uh, at the Great Commission at full speed. And uh, so for us, we work with families, our, our families that are the missionaries that are overseas, including those support role missionaries, all of them. Um, and our goal is, is that, or what we believe is this, if family is not healthy, then the family suffers that the ministry suffers and the unreached remain unreached. And I think it's important to say that we're not saying that it's at all costs. We aren't trying to sacrifice family. Uh, family is very important to God and is a major priority. So it's not that we're trying to just keep them on the field at all costs, but what we do wanna do is support them at all costs so that families can stay and do what they're called to do as much as they can and eliminate reasons to come home that were, uh, were someone who stepped in and preventable. Mm -hmm. um, the truth is these families that are in these tribes doing that long list of stuff, in reality, a lot of them are the only ones in history or the only ones on the planet that know that language or are at least in the stage of knowing that, that language and know the gospel. And the, that people group have been waiting since Babel for this. And so we want to do everything we can to support that, that team and that family that's in that tribe. And so that's what it's about. And we want to see that. And unfortunately, uh, we're going to get into this, but it's a very hard thing to do with a family. And the kids um, can, can have some challenges. And, and we don't want that to be what brings families home. We want to support them. They really are on the front lines. Like these, this has been the enemy's territory since like throughout history and so when the light comes into darkness he will try tooth and nail to to stop the gospel from reaching these people and we've seen really like crazy spiritual warfare happening in a lot of these families and a lot of these tribes um lots of crazy stories but because of that we want to come around these families and support them in any way that we can yeah so what i want to do is <clears throat> talk about 
these kids, the fan, the kids of these families. Um, there's this word called third culture kid. I'm going to explain it. And this is honestly like the tip of the iceberg. I, I get the honor of going over and working with our, our families and like, I can spend a week, I have spent a week talking about this subject. Um, so I'm going to literally be giving you like a 30,000 foot view. So recognize that and sorry, it's gonna be quick. Um, but here is some of the background on third culture kids. It is kind of big, sorry. So third culture kid is a term, it's a definition. Um, so what I wanna do is kind of give you a, a, a picture in your head. So the third culture kid is kind of an umbrella term and underneath the umbrella are some subcategories. And so missionary kids would be one of those subcategories, but other things like military kids, fam military families that are living overseas, um, having assignments in different countries, Japan or Germany. And then you can have like diplomatic families where they're working at different, in different countries for diplomatic reasons and there's kids involved with that or in the oil industry or in the international business, um, there's different scenarios like that. So third culture kid, that term is like a umbrella. And then there's a couple different things underneath that and missionary kids would be one of them. So here's a definition. It comes out of a book called third culture kid experience, which was written by Dr. David Pollack, who would be one of the first, there was some families, there was a couple in the fifties that kind of started this whole understanding but David Pollack was the one that really dove into it as an understanding and wrote a book that most of us in this industry have. <laughs> um, so here's the definition of third culture kid. An individual having spent significant part of their developmental years in a culture other than their parents' culture develops a sense of relationship to all the cultures while not having full ownership in any. Elements of each culture are incorporated into the life experience. But the sense of belonging is in the relationship to others of similar experience. So what I'm going to do is kind of share a little bit more uh, visuals. visuals. Um, so let's say this is a passport culture. And, you know, some of these families have multiple passports. I know Tammy's on here and she has multiple passports. So it's hard for her to see the word passport there. But um, let's say take this is culture and we'll take Brie. So Brie has a passport <laughs> in Papua New Guinea. Sorry, man, you just threw me off. Um, she said volunteers tribute in case anyone missed that. So, um, uh, so Brie has a passport. So the USA owns her essentially. They are the ones that um, she has her passport win. That's her culture that she started out in and grew up in uh, to a very young age. Um, but there it, let's switch, here we go. There it comes. Um, <clears throat> then we've got a host culture for these guys. So Brie would consider her host culture to be Papua New Guinea. So she loves Papua New Guinea. She, in fact, she lived there most of her childhood and she has a lot of reasons why it feels like home. But She's still a visitor in that culture. In fact, she has a visa that's a, you know, she yeah, had, exactly. So she's not, she doesn't actually belong to that culture, but she feels like it was a host culture. So then you have this middle section here. And if you were through the definition, if you can hear it, what we're talking about is they have, they have ownership of, I should say, they have, full ownership like I would in America. I was born here and I grew up here and I lived here. I feel very American and I like have ownership of this culture. Brie doesn't 
feel like she has ownership in this culture. She feels like she has parts of it, of her. And then she feels like parts of Papua New Guinea are part of her, but she doesn't have full ownership of any. And what that actually has done is it actually allows her, her feelings of belonging to be tied to people that have similar experience. Instead of the cultures themselves of belonging, it's more the people that have similar experience. And so, so if there was an MK from Brazil or take another country like that I've never been to, that I've never experienced their culture before, I would still be able to connect with that other MK because they understand what it's like to not fully belong to either. Right. So the fact that we, both of us don't fully belong makes us bond really easily with each other. And so we create this third, we're like the third culture kids who don't belong anywhere or in everywhere also. Right. So um, I'm going to get into a couple there's, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but I'm gonna just focus in here on two. So these are realities for third culture kids. So again, TCS. umbrella and MKs would fit under that. So two, one, uh, two um, realities, one would be high mobility and the other is cross-cultural lifestyle. So high mobility, what we're talking about here is that third culture kids tend to undergo chronic cycles of mobility far more often than the population at large. Um, and they go through transition cycles with greater frequency. So we've, we've got studies to show that MKs or, or third culture kids have 10, it's an average, tend to have nine major moves or transitions before the age of 18. And these are pretty darn like significant moves like cross-culturally um, and so a lot of different changes, a lot of different transi transitions, and nine is a lot compared to their peers in the U.S. Now, it's not like monoculturals, which would be like those that grow up in the same culture, never move. But this is just something that's chronic and is very generally true of most third culture kids, including MKs. And the thing about moving or transition is there's grief and loss tied to that. So the reality of transition, there is loss even when there is ultimate gain. So even if it's a good, like perceived good transition, there is still loss. So no matter how much we anticipate the future is good, we almost always leave something of value behind as well. So what this looks like practically is so many goodbyes. And it's people, it's goodbye to people all the time. It's good, goodbye to pets. It's goodbye to homes. It's goodbye to plants you'll never see again. Um, and it's a lot of hellos. It's having to start and, over and, and meet new people. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, like, that's the other aspect of it is like, okay, I might have stayed for a big chunk of time in New Guinea, but other people around me, other missionaries would be leaving on their furlough. And so it'd be large since the time that I would have to say goodbye. I've I had to say goodbye permanently to many best friends that I had and coming back to the States would be for a year amount of time. So I'd come here and then make friends here and then have to say goodbye again while I went back overseas. So, and then not knowing who would still be there when, when I got back. So it was a, like a lot of transition in that sense for me. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I just want to say that high mobility is not like a bad thing. There are challenges like we were just referring to, but there's also a lot of benefits to high mobility. So seeing many parts of the world, vacationing in beautiful and interesting places, often having very close bonds with family because you're usually in a very tight knit community. 
um, often have a unique global and missional perspective, friends literally around the world, knowing how to make a quick start because they've had to make many. Uh, numerous life experiences and stories to tell uh, can be adaptable, flexible, and resourceful. So it's, it's not all bad being high mobility, but there are some challenges tied to it. So now we're going to talk about that other one, cross-cultural lifestyle. And the first one I wanted, the first reality tied to that is the hidden immigrant. So here's a, a uh, graph that I'm just going to walk us through real quick. So if we look at that upper left side, the mirror, and this would be what most people would experience. Uh, that is, I look alike and I think alike. So for me, I was born in the US, I grew up in the US and I still live in the US. I understand the culture, I recognize that it's changing all the time, but in general, I have very, I'm comfortable here and I understand. And the big thing is people look at me and think I know what I'm doing, because I do. Um, down bottom right corner is foreigner. And so that would be someone who looks different and thinks different, um, foreigner, I mean, obvious, but for a foreigner, we usually have this immediate response of compassion or like, oh, let me help you. Of course, you don't know how to do this. Or, or let me hear your story. Like, tell me where you're from. Like, tell me, you know, how you got here kind of idea. Right. Because it's, it, it just kind of clicks yeah. and we automatically have a, curious. a response of, I want to help you. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the upper right, that's adopted. And so many of our third culture kids will feel this way when they're in their host culture. So for right. Brie, when she in was in Papua New, Papua New Guinea, she looked different, very different, mm -hmm. very, very different. But she thought over time, she began to think and feel and understand the culture well enough that there was this feeling of adoption in that culture. And she, uh, it was part of her and they accepted her over time. And so there's that phase. Now this bottom left-hand corner is the one that a lot of third culture kids walk through and not knowing it can be very frustrating. And it's called hidden, hidden immigrant where you look alike, but you think differently. So this is when TCKs come back to their passport cultures. Yes. Yes, I thought you were gonna explain it. Um, so <laughs> this would be uh, like when Brie came back to the US after high school or on or home on, assignment yeah, for a year. Um, she looked American and but the thing is, she didn't know the culture very well, at least, and she didn't understand it, and she didn't think the same. It was hard to relate to other people my age. Like, I just, there was just this cultural barrier that I, you know, it takes a lot for even, like, a foreigner to come in and to, like, understand America, and then I look like I should understand. I, I look American, and so people don't kind of offer you that that buffer of like, oh, let me help you understand or let me, you know, like tell me your story because they just assume that you're just like them. And so I think this can create a lot of isolation, especially if the, the high school graduate is coming to college and is not, is like on their own and their, their family isn't around them to be able to like support them through it, then it can create just an isolation and depression and um, just feeling like I should know what I'm doing and I don't and nobody understands or cares to ask my story or um, so yeah there's a lot that can kind of come from this yeah. hidden immigrant. Um, some other parts of the cross-cultural lifestyle um, is relational based so here's some dynamics <clears throat> and before I get into this I just want to mention that I, I don't want us to say this is the box that all missionary kids, all third culture kids live in and they're all this exact way because that's not true of any of us. 
I'm generalizing, um, but in our time, you know, almost seven years working with TCKs, like this is very true uh, for many. And so this is very generalized, but it is true for most. So third culture kids tend to contextualize story by place and monoculturals, so that's living in one culture, tend to contextualize stories by time. And that's because a third culture kid is moving so much, like they, their brain is categorized, you know, there's the shelf, the, the memory is shelved by uh, where I was, what place I was living at the time. So when I was in Papua New Guinea, uh, and that was their basis for their story, or when I was in Brazil, um, where monoculturals tend to be in the same place. So that never really changes. And so it's all categorized by age or what grade, which is all fine. It's, there's no issue there. The only problem is uh, what can happen and does happen is third culture kids don't know this and don't recognize it. So they will constantly bring up these countries they lived in and it comes across conceited. It comes across like showing off and it can really put a barrier between relationships um, which is really unfortunate because it's not they're not trying to but it's just a reality if they aren't aware of it the other thing is tck's this is more so the second one mm -hmm. tck's tend to need depth in close friendships uh to develop close friendships where monoculturals need time to develop close friendships and this is tied to the fact that that high mobility piece so when you have people in and out of your lives, whether you're the one moving or other families are moving, you develop this like immediate, you know, this sense of like, we have to go deep quickly because I don't know how long I'm going to have you in my life. And I'm used to people only being in my life for four years, two years, 10 years is like crazy long. And so we're going to get, I'm going to go deep really quickly. Whereas monoculturals don't have that same thing. They're with the same people first grade all the way through 12th grade you know not always but in general and so there's our culture tends to then just say hey let's talk about the weather and let's talk about sports for a while and then we'll get into the deep stuff um, I need to get to know you first before I'm going to go deep and uh, there's a study that was done that shows that again generally uh, that most monoculturals take up to 250 hours of interaction with someone before they would categorize them as a close friend it's different all the time, but that's just an average. And MKs, when we talked about that, they just, their mind's blown. Cause that's just like, when do you even get that much time? It's actually goes quick, but um, it's true. I would say there's also the flip side to the MK, you know, just knowing that there's a short amount of time that you'll get with someone, you either decide to go deep or you decide not to engage mm -hmm. that person because you're also protecting yourself from mm -hmm. getting hurt again or getting, or having the grief of saying goodbye. So yeah, very I true. think you get the flip of that as well. We see both very often. <clears throat> so again, uh, third culture lifestyle has tons of benefits to it. It's not all negative. Um, there's definitely challenges, but it's not all negative. So here are some of the benefits of it. Awareness that there can be more than one way to look at things at the same thing. Many positives from upbringings that cannot be bought or obtained in adulthood becoming adaptable and resourceful. Language acquisition, all of our MKs in South America, I know many who have like used the fact that they have Spanish uh, as a benefit in America for jobs and stuff like that, it's pretty cool. But also the fact that so many of them learn language at a young age that aids them in learning language as, an, as, an old, when, as they get older. It's easier once you've learned it as a kid. 
um, multiple languages. Uh, they enjoy diversity, cross-cultural skills. Man, so many don't recognize this because we're human, but once they recognize, I mean, so many do. And cross-cultural bridge, they can help. We have a lot of connectors. kids that, you know, when they go to university, they get, they get really excited to help international students because they get that whole thing. They understand that cross-cultural piece and they can help bridge. And they do um, a lot of them just naturally without even recognizing that they're playing that role. They just naturally and start then doing even it. looking for roles in in future careers mm -hmm. as to be the cross-cultural bridge as yep. well international you know? business stuff like that is politics huge. Yeah. yep the church mm -hmm. we need them in the church um so now i'm gonna skew in and look from the umbrella and go just down to missionary kids because there's some uniqueness just to missionary kids in general and so here's just two of the realities for missionary kids the fishbowl and perfectionism and they're kind of tied together but um, the fishbowl. So the reality is um, a lot of missionary life is spent either overseas in a small area with just people that you know all the time and they're just watching you all the time, good can't or bad, get away with can't get away with anything. And then you come back on home assignment and you go from church to church or household to household and there's this feeling of like everyone knows who I am and I don't know who any of these people are. Um, because they're hearing about me in newsletters, they're hearing about, you know, there's this idea or feeling of like, on I'm on display all the time and everyone knows my business. And it's or being put on a pedestal, just sure. missionaries in general, you know, yeah. come back and they think that they're their superheroes and they're just average people with average challenges. Yeah. And very often we hear of MKs that will come back and try and get into a church and then the the youth leader is like, hey, can you lead the Bible study? You know, because it's like you, you're a missionary. Your parents you're are a missionary. missionary. You, you know, and it's just you this tied thing that happens <laughs> um, and it just comes with it. And that really where it leads um, is the second one. Could. could. Yeah. It, it does very often mm -hmm. is uh, perfectionism. And we all can, I mean, it's not exclusive to third culture kids or missionary kids, but it's definitely mm -hmm. uh, a very, it happens. Um, I think the pressure of like, being on display is that like this first one if i mess up my parents can lose their ministry i think that is a huge one like if if anybody knows what i'm struggling with you know like they're going to stop supporting my parents and if my parents aren't going to get if they don't get enough support they can't go back to the mission field and then therefore i can't go home because the us is not my home and if i if my parents can't go back then the people that they're trying to reach in the tribe like won't get the gospel and then they don't get the gospel they're like they're still unreached like then it all comes back like this is all my fault kind of idea so i have to look like i have it all together we're all internally feeling like i am struggling and no i can talk to nobody about this because it could get back to my parents or my parents supporters and um and then it could all come crashing down so it's a perceived pressure because yeah. parents like are not putting this pressure on their kids but you know, like it's very similar to being a pastor's kid as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just on display and known by all and um, and have, we hear a lot of MKs just completely walk away from the Lord. Um, and some are on fire. Like they love what their parents are doing and they've, they've seen God work and they are just like on fire for missions, whether they go into the mission or not, they like have seen and know, but others, it can turn to being angry with God or um, whatever it might be, not even talking about maybe some traumas that they've been through, which we'll talk about later. Right. Yeah. So this one 
Um, I like how we put loose their ministry instead of loose. But anyways, um, yeah. So it this is one, again, perfectionism is something that a lot of us walk through no matter what. But this is one that's it, we hear a lot. Oh, and then that could lead to God is disappointed with me as mm-hmm. well. That's a big, big. Um, yeah. And, and like she said, parents, we don't have, we have great families and none of the parents are saying this. Like none of them are saying, hey, you better shape up or we're not going to do this ministry or you can't. Really, that's not being stated. And in fact, parents tend to be trying to speak against that. But it's just an internal thing. It's perceived that a lot of our MKs walk through. But there is definitely, definitely uh, benefits to this MK life and experience. And some of those could be things like seeing God at work like few get to, um, being a part of what God is doing from an early age. And those are significant. Like I, I think in the West, we tend to wait for our kids. I mean, we'll put them in youth group, which is fantastic. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but often um, youth don't see stuff like this. God make, you know, providing and, you know, it it doesn't happen too often in the Western world, but these kids are seeing God do miraculous things from an early age. And these kids are like coworkers and getting to be a part of this ministry from an early age and seeing God come through. And that's just a huge uh, element. That's really cool. Um, And really they have many people praying for them and wanting to help. And that can be scary if they, if you don't know them, but it's also when you, um, if you can get to a place where you can understand, understand that, it's such a blessing to know people are actually really caring for you and understand what your family's walking through and how and wanting to help you. And usually live in tight community with believers. It's really a, a cool blessing. Okay, so one of the things that we recognize is it's really hard for us to share like detail about what our ministry, like the actual kids that we're working with and the families, because we want to protect that like this they're they're not projects and we don't want to feel that way and we don't want to share too much of the detail of their families going you know the things going on so we try really hard just to share protect their privacy basics information and not the detail stuff but that is hard for you a lot of our supporters are here and like that's hard because you don't know you all the hear stories what's going on you know what's yeah. the actual things happening so um one of the families we work with we connected with said hey could you share a little bit, would you be comfortable sharing a little bit about your family? And, and they were very glad to do so. So I'm gonna share a, a video here, it's about 15 minutes long. Um, and so we can watch and hear what life was like for this family in Papua New Guinea. So give me one second while I switch it over here. Make sure our volume's working. And message us if it's not working for you. Yeah, one person on two Thursday, it didn't work for. Everyone else Everyone did. So else is fine. just message us if something's going on. Not All that right. we would be able to fix it. <laughs> Here we go. The Markleys here who are good friends of mine who serve with Ethnos 360 over in Papua New Guinea. They've served as church planters in the Denungit tribe with their family with their kids, with themselves. And so I just wanted to introduce you guys. Thanks for coming on and sharing. Yeah, our pleasure. We're so happy to be here with you guys. So can you guys just start with a little, like a brief history of your journey to Papua New Guinea? What did that look like? Uh, yeah, uh, we moved to New Guinea in 2002 and uh, we had a two-year-old and a nine-month-old. And uh, so we moved over when they were really young. 
Uh, we moved into the Denonga tribe um, in 2003, actually, and learned their uh, Denonga people's uh, language and culture. It's very remote location. Uh, the only way in and out is by airplane. And um, so, yeah, we moved in there, built our houses, learned their language. And in 2007, we a literacy program where we actually had to develop an alphabet for them first because their language had never been written down. And so we developed an alphabet for them and then taught them how to read and write in their own language. And then in 2008, we were able to present the gospel to them in their own language. And uh, that, was, that was unreal to see God work in their lives and many, many people in the village got saved. And it was, it was just an amazing time to be there. And then been working there since then, uh, working with the church. It was baby church. And then um, we've been discipling, uh, translating the New Testament into their language. And that's actually what I'm doing now still is working on translation. And Lord willing, another few more years, and we'll be able to hand it over to the church and uh, let them uh, continue to teach uh, from God's word. So right now, the church is doing well. They're, they're functioning. Uh, they have pastors and they're they're doing the work themselves and it's it's been a real privilege to be able to see that so so i'll just add that our kids have grown up there that mm -hmm. was their playground their school ground their home stomping ground basically raised three kids in the bush and um our co-workers also had children so by the time it was all said and done there were 10 mks on our team living in this remote tribal village access to cities, towns, roads, but they had each other and they had our Denungit children as well. And uh, they loved it. Any one of our kids will tell you that that village is their home. Mm -hmm. So it's been the three families, the three missionary families living among the Denungit people since 2003. Wow. Uh, so all of us, all of our children pretty much grew up there except for our home assignment times, which we took every four years. So I want to ask, what was it like parenting in that dynamic, in that situation? In some ways, I think it was simpler. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have a lot of the outside voices of the world pouring into our kids. Uh, they didn't have the exposure to a lot of, I don't know, to a lot of negativity. Some might call it sheltered. It was definitely isolated, yeah. but I, I really believe that it was a very positive way for them to grow up. So we didn't have the modern access to things that uh, most American children would have. So no malls, no cars, um, the matchbox cars that they brought into the village. They didn't, we didn't even have internet for a long time, mm -hmm. but, and did they play those, they owned those mountains, those trails, they hiked all over the place. They built dams in our tiny little river. They climbed every single tree. They named every single tree. <laughs> build forts in it. They were stretched to user imaginations. In that way, it was really, really good, I feel like. On the hill right behind us, if it was raining out, what one of their favorite games was to take a huge banana leaf. I don't know if you've, you've ever seen these. Banana leaves probably three, four feet long. Yeah, sometimes longer. Um, and maybe a foot and a half wide. They would hop on these like it was a sled. Mm -hmm. and go down slide the, down the muddy slide hills. down the muddy hills oh. when it was I mean this is you know the village kids got into this and they mm -hmm. it was so much fun and 
they just loved it. So, and we weren't driving from one place to the next to the next. We didn't have to worry about soccer practice or study groups or things like that. So they just kind of had the run of the place. The dads would do PE for them often. Um, so they got to play some football and do some sports out there. And that was what was fun also about having such a solid team in there is there were always enough to play some sort of sport. So one year we even took um, pictures and put it together like it was a regular school yearbook with um, oh, that's so cool. the blue background and everything. And <laughs> <laughs> we still did um, end of school year celebrations mm -hmm. and they'd get their certificates of completion mm -hmm. and pizza parties and rewards and things like that. We did reading festival. Like we tried to make it what we kind of know as normal for them. They also had two different types of relationships with kids at that point. They had their relationships to each other, the other MKs on our team. And then they had relationships with the Denangit children. And those relationships were very different. I would say they learned and grew a lot from both of those relationships. With the Denangit children, there was a big, obviously a uh, big language and culture barrier. Mm. difficult to overcome and so I think their friendships with the Denanga children only reached a certain level um, but there was a great camaraderie there a great affection um, on the one hand on the other hand they often felt um, stared at misunderstood sometimes very uncomfortable but it was normal they kind of got used to it as well um, it was just a part of life for them and then you had their relationships with the other MKs. So now we're talking about kind of same culture, same language. They were with them all the time. So they really were more like siblings than friends. Mm -hmm. And everything that means, which means that they were great friends and they fought like cats and dogs sometimes. Um, but unlike a normal Western context where if you don't get along with somebody, you just find somebody else to play with. They didn't have that option. They had each other. So on the positive spectrum of that, they really had to learn what it meant to work through conflict, to learn how to forgive and to humble yourself and ask forgiveness and how to love each other and um, are still pretty tight to this day, all of them. And we're so, so grateful for that. There is anybody probably on this planet who will understand them like they understand each other. Nobody else will understand when they're talking about where they grew up um, besides those 10 kids. We kept them pretty close to our houses. So we had the rule that we always had to be visible to one of, uh, one of the adults one on the team. Adults, yeah. So we're just looking back, just super grateful, yeah. super blessed with um, the many things that God made, did to make it special for them growing up there. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that they would have chosen anything different. I don't know that for sure, but I think that they have pretty awesome memories of yeah. growing up there in the bush. You, you'll have to ask them for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, I have spoken to your boys and have heard many of the same. So, so yeah. can I ask, uh, what were some of the challenges specifically to raising children in that environment? I would say some of the couple of challenges that come to mind is one would just be the security in, in one sense. I know April mentioned that we always needed to keep our eyes on them. Um, or they always needed to be playing within a, you know, for, you. With the, within at least one of us missionaries being able to, to see them at all times. So that was, that was one thing. Um, 
but then also, you know, we're in the middle of the, of the jungle and there's no road. So when there was a medical uh, issue, you know, if it's at night that the plane can't get in, or if it's, if it's, you know, raining and there's clouds everywhere, the, the plane can't get in for that either. So that was kind of a faith tester. It was definitely a faith tester. Yeah. You know, with our kids um, at the time, Judah, uh, he fell and broke his collarbone and um, he was what, maybe two years old or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we're in the middle of the bush and we're, we're thinking, how, what do we do? We can't just take him to the hospital mm -hmm. or, or to the doctor. And so, yeah, those, those types of things were, were definitely a challenge. So he was examined via shortwave radio. <laughs> yeah. We're on the radio talking. To the doctor. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, and that was great that they were there and on call and available. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're super yeah. excited to have that team. Just, just knowing that when that plane takes off, you're, you're stuck, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere. And so that was definitely a challenge. Also, just being away from our extended family, you know, so um, our kids' grandparents, they would see them once every four years. That was a huge thing for both, you know, for both our, our parents and then also for our kids to, you know, not to not to be able them. to, yeah, to not to be able to know them, not to do Christmas together and Thanksgiving together and those types of things. And that, that was a real challenge for our kids, for, for us as well, and definitely for our families. Mm -hmm. um, and I would add too that at least one of our children would say that they really hard, had a hard time with kind of being on display all the time. Yeah. As soon as we walked outside the door, mm -hmm. all village eyes were on the missionaries and the missionary kids and what mm -hmm. were they going to do? What were they going to say? And what were they going to play today? And mm -hmm. um, they were watched constantly. On the one hand, it was good for us. They, they could never get away with anything. <laughs> but my, one of mine were, was stressed out about that enough that often she would go inside and not want to come outside for a while. And has, I think, since become very much a homebody. She just loves being inside. Mm -hmm. And I think that that probably has something to do with that as well. Leaving their friends in New Guinea and coming back to the States on home assignment, that was really, really difficult for them. That was a huge challenge. And then uh, for our boys, we found that about halfway through their time here in the States, they started to really enjoy it here and they made friends here. And then when it was time to go back, New Guinea. I mean, they were still very excited to go back to New Guinea, but now they have these friends over here as well. And knowing that they may not see them again, or it would be at least four more years before they saw them again. And um, so that that constant transition back and forth and, you know, mm -hmm. where is home and, um, and I both of our boys have graduated now. And I mean, they they still talk about New Guinea as though that's their home. They they're here in this country in the States, but they're this isn't home to them, you know, they, um, they're, they're from New Guinea and, um, or they, they feel like they are and, and that's, that's home. And so that's been a huge challenge. I don't think that it's a bad thing necessarily to know that there were hard things along the way too. And in those hard times, learn that, wow, you can survive these things mm -hmm. because God is enough Yeah. above and beyond any of your challenges and your difficulties. God is there. He mm -hmm. really is there. And that's one of the major blessings, I think, of being MK is you really get to see God be God because your needs are so big. You can't deny them. You can't hide them. You got big needs. And um, 
God fills them. He meets them where they are. Well, you, you had mentioned that your, your boys graduated high school and came back to the U.S. What did that look like for them and how did that go? Um, our two, two of our kids, at least, went to the MK retreat in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And I think that was huge. You know, they honestly, they weren't looking forward to coming back to the States very much. Um, Not at all. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was hard. They weren't really looking forward to it. But I think going to the retreat, they both went um, maybe a month or two after we got back to the States. And right away, they found a community, a group of people who understands them. And that's, that's really rare to find in the country anywhere, really. Um, somebody who understands the uniqueness of being an MK. They're special. They're not more special than anybody else's. Um, but this is different and there's not many people who understand what that's like to have gone through so many transitions to have traveled so much and to not really know you know for an mk one of the hardest questions is where are you from they don't even that's a hard question to answer and all of a sudden they were surrounded by you know 20 30 strangers um who also came to this retreat who still who struggle with the same question and knowing that they're not isolated in that I, I feel like was huge for them it kind of gave them a leg up transitioning into the next phase of life for them and um, they were able to be encouraged and challenged by speakers who get them as well mm -hmm. and understand their uniqueness and we're super grateful that mm -hmm. they were able to tumble into that group of people that's fantastic yeah we we so love re-entry programs and feel very passionate about because you're right you know the they're walking into such a new environment and to have people that get it is just such a powerful uh, advantage and people who can help process your story as you're walking into this new scenario so yeah well how can we be praying for you guys and your family now in the midst of where you're at and, and what are the things that we can be praying for i would say probably uh the biggest thing is still our kids as they transitioned um, for our younger one who's in middle school, coming back to the States and going into a new school in middle school has been a, a bit of a challenge. So, yeah, um, you know, that it, it, it's just difficult. And so just uh, to, to be praying about um, God just working in that. And it's not something that we need to be uh, afraid of or um, try to avoid even because we know that God is going to use this in their lives to bring about good. And so um, our prayer would be that um, our kids would be open to the Lord using this in their life uh, to bring about the good that he wants to. So MK Care Ministry, um, save me a place someday whenever I retire, I want to come join you. Um, <laughs> come on in. Um, God is using that ministry in a huge, huge way, and we just can't even tell you how grateful mm -hmm. we are for you guys. Yeah, I was just going to say it's been a huge thing in, in our kids' lives, um, mm -hmm. especially to be aware of what's coming, you know. So even mm -hmm. when, we're, when we're in New Guinea, you have come over and MK Care team have come over and kind of walked through some scenarios and just helped our kids to really know what's, you know, what's coming. and. Mm -hmm and um or or what they may struggle with so that they can take advantage of those opportunities too and and to know that hey this isn't 
abnormal. You know, this is, is very normal for them to be going through this, this weird, these weird emotions that they're feeling and, and uh, just to be aware of those things. And we're just so grateful that you guys have, have taken the time and the money and, and just given your lives to, to help our kids. And uh, we're so, so grateful to be with you guys. So. Well, it is an honor to be on the same team and be coworkers and working towards the same goal. And so uh, thanks for what you guys do, being willing to sacrifice so much to do that. We love you guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you, too. Well, as I was watching, I was just thinking, like, there are so many reasons why missionaries leave the field. Like, it could be health. It could be coworker conflict. Like, there's just so many reasons and actually having college-age MKs. Actually having college-age. There it goes. Sorry college age of kids being in the states and going to college um, and having that struggle that we talked about is one of the biggest reasons why missionary families leave the field permanently and so our heart is to stand in the gap and say okay let like let it not be for something preventable that we could have come in and supported that mk for you you know and that's what we tell churches as well like you are sending these missionaries out like you can serve a huge role in supporting them as they send their kids back to the States, you know, um, like you be their hands and feet while they're being your hands and feet overseas kind of idea. So we, we love MKs and um, work specifically with college age, but we're going to get into more of the specifics of what we do. Yeah. And I, I recognize like this has been a while and we've got like maybe 15 minutes left. So Hopefully you guys can stick with us here. Yeah, we're just going to share a little bit about what does it actually look like, right? What does this ministry look like? What do we do um, to kind of try and accomplish these goals that we've been talking about before? So um, I'm going to start by sharing some of just the dynamics that we have. Um, there it goes. Um, so what are we, what are the numbers? So right now we have over 1100 MKs uh, in our Ethno 360 uh, ministry that are ages birth to 22. Um, so we've got many that are after age 22 that we still kind of tra track, but as far as our, our scope, that would be, uh, that's it. If we have over 500 families that this represents. We have about 200 or so uh, young adults, so like college age MKs at any given time. And we have about 50 MKs that would be per age group. So like about 55 year olds and 50 12 year olds you know that type of idea on about an average there our our ministry dynamics are we have about 75 percent that are in homeschool scenarios um, that about 10 years ago was completely switched um, and so right now we only have three schools in operation and part of that is we've recognized um, that it's it's much more healthy to have the young children with parents uh, than separated and so back like in boarding it, traditional missions would have been boarding school scenarios and even back in like David Livingston days and all that I mean they were separated by countries even um, and we've recognized over time as not just missions community but in general man keep your kids to, with your parents as you know at least through um, elementary and then they have the option yeah if they want to be in a boarding school right which in my growing up experience like they were really fun environments to be in and right, right there's been some yeah yep especially junior high and high school but it's definitely different than it was in the past. 
and part of that is also there's so many homeschool uh, curriculums now and support systems mm -hmm. out there for homeschooling. So it, it does work a lot easier now than it used to. Um, but we have three schools currently in operation, one in Papua New Guinea, one in Mexico, and one in Brazil. And then we have different living scenarios. So we've got some that are living in the tribal scenario, like remote tribes, like we've been talking about in like that family. Uh, but we do have some that are in like populated cities um, or in populated villages. We've got some living on mission centers. Bree grew up in a mission center. So it was in Papua New Guinea, but it was like 60 families. And it was all these families that are involved in the infrastructure. So pilots that were flying out to the tribe. So Papua New Guinea. Tribal missionaries on the field. Right. Indonesia and Papua New Guinea, you know, they have significant amount of, of these people groups, unrelated languages and unrelated people groups. So like Papua New Guinea itself has 850 people groups. So there's a lot of our families in that one region. And it's an region. open country asking for missionaries. So yeah, so we have families living on centers support all missions. those different works. Um, and then we've got some in large cities as well. Um, we have families living stateside. So we have some living at our facilities. So we've got like a Bible school in Wisconsin. We've got a training center in Missouri, a headquarters in Florida, an aviation training center in Arizona. So we've got a lot of different facilities and there's families that are actually even living on those centers. So we've got some unique living there. And then we've got itinerant, like our family, we live in Colorado. And so Sienna would be an itinerant MK. She lives not attached to anything. She's in a whole different right. category. Um, so, and then we've got some on different assignments. So we've got some that are serving on the field here in the US. And then we've got some that are in the US for um, raising their support. We have some that are on home assignments, so they're here for one year. So there's all these different dynamics going on at one given time that would represent those 500 families and, and such. And admit someone, I see someone coming in. One quick second. There we go. Okay, so moving on. This is our team. Um, oh, once it goes. Okay, so we've got three couples. So we've got Steve and Becky Swope uh, on the left side. They live in Indiana. Um, they served in Bolivia before um, joining our team. And then we've got Bree and I here in, in Colorado, representing somewhat like the west of the United States, kind of like from Colorado to California, just trying regionally. The, the Swopes kind of do the Great Lakes area. And then we've got my mom. That's Bree's mom, Donnell. She just joined our team in January. So she's working with us part-time as an admin and she's on this call. Um, so Hi, we're mom. really very grateful. They served 30, yeah, they served 35 years um, over in Papua New Guinea. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that's the right number, but maybe more, maybe a little less. 33, 33? Here it is. Did I get it right? Wait. 30. 30, one, three, zero. All right, got it, three, zero. Uh, so they lived in Papua New Guinea. Again, we talked about them. Um, different roles. Different roles on the field. The, and so we're really important. grateful for them and all that they've done. And now we're grateful to have them on our team. So very cool. Um, I want to share a little bit about our current situation. So we, as a team, uh, have completely re-strategized in this last year. So COVID has actually been a blessing in, in some way and that usually we travel a lot and it basically fills our schedule quite a bit. But COVID completely changed that. I personally had 12 trips canceled. So we had all this time that we were gonna need to reallocate to do something. And we knew we needed to do some restructuring, um, but we were so busy, it was hard to do that. So this year we as a team really, we had a couple in-person like brainstorming meetings and just really worked on it. 
and we developed more than we expected a full new program and we're really excited about it and so I'm going to share about it. So here are some of the new things, the new dynamics and it's a shift in age and target. So we when we've started and the way we've been going, we really would have kind of we were kind of just focused on that college age group, which we still appreciate and want to be a part of. But we were kind of like, OK, once you graduate high school and now you're coming back to the US and there's this gap of like now you're in the States by yourself and we want to support. And that's why we're here. Very good. Uh, and we still want to keep part of that. But the problem is if we start there, they're already at that age. They're already in their transition whirlwind. And it's just really hard to establish relationship and member care. You just have to have relationship. It's, trust, and relationship. it's trust relationship to be able to be even helpful. So we recognized we were kind of, it was like a band-aid fix that we had put ourselves in. The other thing is we were focused in on those MKs and we were not intentionally, but kind of ignoring mom and dad. And we recognized over time that that's a mistake as well, because really, it starts with mom and dad. It starts with mom and dad. Mom and dad are the are the greenhouse for our families, and they're the greenhouse for spiritual development and all kinds Education. of development. And so we wanted to shift to be let's let's look at it more as like a family and involve mom and dad from the beginning. And so that is a big shift for us, and it's gonna and I'll show you how that's affecting everything. So we have opened up our scope to birth to twenty two, and we've opened up our target audience to not just MKs but the whole family. The other thing is we have a registration-based program now. Um, and the reason for that is because we do have like database, but it's it's an HR system that we can use. But the problem is the kids are, their information is there for insurance reasons and stuff like that. And so their information is actually protected by HIPAA laws, which is good. Like that's not a bad thing, but it really has tied our hands in like being able to do contacts and work with our kids or even know who our kids are. And so we need to develop a, our own database and we need to find a way to create, get to get that information from them, permission-based information that we can now use. And that's why we're going to a registration program. So they register their kids for the program and, and all of that. And then we're really increasing our communication out. Because remember I talked about the global parts of it? It gets really confusing and really hard to communicate in that scope. And so we're really working on getting a lot better at communicating out to our families. And so what I wanted to do, I'm a visual person, and so this kind of helps show you visually what we're talking about. So on the left side is kind of what we, our, our past strategy was just working with those college students here in the U.S. And we did our, and we think that's still going to be a part of it. But um, what we've now moved to on this right side is we've added kind of our, or expanded our scope to include both parents and birth to age 22, and then the adult MKs that are, or young adult MKs, 18 to 22. And you notice the arrows go both ways because we really want to communicate much better out and we also want to bring them to us. And so another little illustration would be think of instead of what it used to be where we were just pursuing all the families, all 500 of them just doing our best to try and connect and help and support. That's just too many for a small little team. It just wasn't very effective. So what we're actually shifting to is more of like a storefront where we're going to really do really good at having a storefront and then do great at promoting that storefront and communicating out so families come to us um, and so for for care and all that so it's not exactly that way but that's a good way to understand what we're shifting towards so here's another visual that kind of just shows so our families once it goes there it goes um, we've got 
the parents, the MKs, and then those young adult MKs, they register and then they receive these four things, care, connection, central, and community. I'm gonna run through those real quick. And just to say this whole program is not happening yet. Um, it's, we're looking to launch around Easter uh, or early summer. That's kind of our timeline for this launch. So the first one, there it goes, is care. And care would be like a, what you think of when you think of member care, it's that soul care. So it's visits, it's in-person visits, it's virtual. Now that's the reality for today. Um, so we go on college campuses and we hang out and we go buy them a dinner instead of the dorm dinner uh, or the cafeteria dinner. Uh, we do, we're still very event driven. We do a lot of retreats. We do a big annual retreat. We do one day gatherings. Uh, where we support and, and staff re-entry programs that are the things that help kids uh, they go to right when they get to the U.S. and it helps them. We teach them practical stuff like driver's license and we also work through that stuff like perfectionism. Uh, we do on-field events. So for instance, I uh, often go to Papua New Guinea, Mexico, to our fields and do a lot of Indonesia. We'll do transition stuff and content with the kids before they come to the U.S. Uh, like a conference style. Um, and then we have events here in the U.S. So like in next uh, in March, I'll be going to our aviation center and doing a little program for the families there. And then we go to our headquarters. So we do events in the U.S. as well. And then we offer one on one assistance. We do coaching. Um, and we also have like assessments like Cerny Smith, which is a stress assessment. I so, would say also under this category would be like we are big in networking, like with other mm -hmm. organizations that are like dedicated to helping missionary families um, get like deeper debriefing and counseling um like a part of the missions world historically like has been looking kind of um like if you needed debriefing you were kind of there was something wrong or like if you needed to go get counseling like you know there was like a big trauma or something but we're like that whole mentality has changed within the missions community and so like we are networking with counselors and with um with debriefers yeah just to keep us going, because we're going to run out of time. But just con Sienna, yeah. connection, connection would be um, how we communicate a lot better. So we're doing um, welcome packets when they come in with some cool branded gifts, like crayon boxes for the kids that have the branding on it and backpack. Anyways, cool packages that go out. And then we connect directly at least every year if they're in the US and as much as we can when they're um, overseas. And we're doing a bunch of vehicles for that, like care packages and holiday mail outs and high school graduation gifts so stuff like that and then we're also doing a quarterly newsletter which is not just like news uh, but it's interactive. very interactive almost more like a, um, a family magazine that's got like interactive tips and interactive activities send a picture in of we'll your pet which the next time yeah, yeah. so like pictures competition yeah kids are going to send in stuff that we don't even know what it is like couscous well, and all kinds of weird stuff anyways fun activities and then tips for parents um so fun stuff that we're looking to do great articles that we've come across and yeah highlighting resources mm -hmm. um the next one is central and this is our like our resources piece so we want to kind of take the resources out there and, and provide it in like a drinking hose Families are super busy on the field. And then when they're on home assignment, they're crazy busy. So we want to do what we can to make it easy make to it consume. Make it from a fire hose to a drinking fountain. So we're actually creating a website that will kind of be like a one-step or one-stop one shop for all of this programming. Um, so it'll actually be a full website that's password protected. So they can, but yeah, so it'll be really cool. We're working out have trainings and webinars and stuff built into it. So they can do some of this very training 
uh, like the TCK stuff um, through it. And then uh, resources, uh, we're, we're gonna create our own and we have a bunch of others that we'll be highlighting. We also offer grants and we're partnering with a, a group, well, I'm gonna skip that just because of time, but lots of cool resources, let's just put it that way. And then the last one is community. And, and that is our desire is to not just have this direct conversation only, but we wanna expand that and foster community like family to family and MK to MK. Um, so we're creating these different community platforms for them to have conversations and um, learn that there's others that are going through similar things. I mean, you'd think that they all know each other being in one organization, but that is definitely not true. They, they know some on their own field and that's about it. It's just too big and global, like you barely know anyone. Um, so we wanna help foster giving support that way through families. Um, so that looks like all kinds of things, uh, new Facebook, new Instagram, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then uh, we've got new branding. Bree worked really hard on this this year. So we're, we've launched with the new program, we're launching new logo and script and font and all of that. So she's worked really hard on that and we're really excited about it. Um, I just wanted to say for me, I'm super excited because I think the, when I think about this, what I think about is uh, a treat. So when I was in first grade, kindergarten, first grade, our teacher gave us a little sapling of a tree. And I remember planting that and being really excited. It was in our backyard a little pot. In, in a little pot. And the thing is it grew like a couple feet, but then for probably five, six years, it was about that same size. And I remember that very clearly, it never grew. And I knew it was like a full on tree. And that's where we've been. We've been in a pot that has restricted us just because we haven't built something bigger. And so now we're in this process where I feel like we've got this much larger pot that we have now transferred into. And there's all this room for the roots to grow and that will allow the tree to grow. And so I just, that's what comes to my mind when I think of the phase we're in and I'm really excited of where we're going. And this is just the foundation. All this stuff is just gonna allow for new things to be added in the future. So we're really excited about it. Uh, a really fun time. And it, it all comes back to that very beginning piece of why we do what we do. It all connects because we're supporting these families and these families are doing the work of bringing the gospel to the unreached, the ones that are still waiting. And that is our job as the church. It's not just to go overseas. Our church, the Great Commission is your neighbor as well. And it's your community and it's your work and it's your country, but it's also over there. The, those that are still waiting. And so we don't want to have just one of those. We want to be a part of all of that. And understanding just how privileged we are to have it yeah. in our language, in our heart language, and um, just the freedom that we have as well. Yeah. So just to finish up, I uh, just want to share a few pieces about how, how to engage. And our hope, um, this isn't just like, it, this. the intention behind all this is not to like, hey, support us. This is actually like our we want people engaged in the Great Commission. Like that's what our hope is that through this, this is just sparking inspiration to get involved in some way. So our hope is one, that people would find ways to be involved, whether it's to go. Some of you might go and be the, the feet overseas and some of, or to your neighbor. And some, it might be to um, get behind others that are doing that. So however it is to be involved, that's, that's a hope of ours. Another is prayer. We really honestly need prayer. We know how powerful it is and how much we need it. You saw our team yeah. and you saw how big this job is. <laughs> so it's impossible. Therefore, yeah. we need prayer. It's impossible. We need the prayer support. Mm -hmm. So we're actually asking for people to like commit to praying for us. Like 
seriously praying for us mm -hmm. um, because we need it. Not just Bree and I, but like our team, our org, and for the growth for of our the church. And, and yeah. so getting behind it in that way. And the other thing is, we do need financial support. That is a part of it. And our job is to present our needs, not to twist any arms. That's not how it's done. For us, it's just saying, hey, here are our needs. And some of you might, the Lord might uh, put in front of you the opportunity to be a part of that. And that's that's all we're doing. So this is uh, just some um, realities for us is Ethnos 360 missionaries are not salary, but are responsible for all living expenses, benefits, minist uh, ministry costs. Um, and we're fully funded through fr um, friends and families who contribute to this. So um, that is our reality and we have expenses. And our goal uh, this year is that we would um, see 15 new supporters join. That's a huge thing. We've not come anywhere close to that before. And we're not, we're, we're just praying through that. And we are super blessed right now that, to say we've got supporters from all over the country. We are so blessed. We've got people um, literally all over. And so we're very blessed by that and grateful. Um, so yeah, just wanted to show you that because that's just something we always look at and just smile and just say, thank you, Lord. Because when we started this process, you know, it was like such in Mount Everest and to see what God has done is, is really cool. So if anyone here is interested in finding out more about engagement, whether it be any of those pieces, um, we've got a lot of information on our website, um, peatandbree.com. You can read about the ministry. You can read about how to support and give and just get more involved. You can get tagged into our website and even see what the needs are overseas. I mean, we need not just the people doing translation. We need people doing all kinds of roles, teachers. We need everything. So give that Tech a look. support, everything. Yeah. yeah. The other last big piece that we have is we take communication very seriously. We think, you know, if people are willing to commit to either pray for us or support us financially, like it's our job to communicate well. And though we can't give a bunch of detail um, all the time, all the time we want to communicate as best we can. So we do that through a few means. We've got a, a monthly newsletter email that goes out and there's like a video on there and stuff. Um, a lot of times those go to junk mail. We recognize that. So if you haven't seen it in a long time, that could be, um, and if, or just let us know, we can get you hooked up with that and try and get that figured out or fixed for you. We also have a um, private like Facebook group where we communicate things that we don't want just blasted all over. Um, so we, can, so we mm -hmm. have just like supporters there and stuff. Um, and then we have our website, which we try and keep up to date. And then um, our updates are also in the form of podcasts. So you can subscribe to that via like um, Spotify or Apple. Um, so just we try and do what we can. And we also try and contact directly a couple of times a year as well, just to say thank you, but also just to share what's going on. So that is something we, we really take seriously. And with that, I am going to go ahead. <laughs> you guys can breathe. We are finished. I'm going to stop.